1: Right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: So, very welcome aboard. Um, You were born and grew up in Bedfordshire. What kind of childhood did you have?
3: Well, I was football daft, and um, I went to Piercy Road School. I got in the team, scored lots of goals, played cricket as well, so I enjoyed that, and then uh, went to Silver Jubilee School, where the headmaster called me in one day and said, uh, "Fry, you will not play for the football team unless you start behaving yourself because uh, i wasn 't very good at education i wasn 't interested in it at all, so then I become a, a, a star pupil. I was a prefect. I had a blazer and everything. And I looked after everybody. A blazer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're all embroidered. <laughs> do this, that, and all the other. But I only done that to get in the school team. And obviously, uh, it, it proved very successful to me because um, you know I played for the school team, and then I played for Bedford and District. And because of that, I played for London Schools, which was like fifty-six miles away. So I don't know how. I, got I never in that understood to. that. No. And. Um, uh, then I got trials for England schoolboys, played for England schoolboys six times, scored five goals. And like you mentioned, one of those goals was at Wembley in front of 93,000 people when we beat Scotland 5-3.
2: Well come, well, come on to all of those in a second. A uh, aside of people who were in those teams, um, uh, what, what did your parents do? What kind of an upbringing did you have?
3: Well, um, my dad worked on the post office Frank Senior. for 52 years. Wow. Um, we lived in a prefab um, the prefab was supposed to be up for 10 years. My dad lived in it for 48 years, 10 months. Incredible. Unbelievable. But as a boy, I was just mad on football. My dad was brilliant. He'd come home from work, I'd be waiting for him, and uh, as soon as he'd come home, I, I had a ball in my hand. I wanted him to take me up the field, and to be fair, he did. And loads of boys come from different houses and we used to go on the moors and play football morning afternoon and night it was brilliant
2: i think you've got an extraordinary record you've seen a lot of the of the, of the fa cup finals in succession haven't you well yeah my, my
3: dad was like secretary of a, a of a local village team called elstow abbey and he used to get one ticket for the cup final every year and he used to take me he only had one ticket, but yes. he put me on his shoulders. Right. To, and since nineteen fifty-four, the Stanley Matthews final. Fifty-three, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, Have you been to all the finals since then? Yes, you've seen fifty-one yeah, FA Cup finals everyone. in succession.
3: And 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 that day, I could not believe it because Stan Mortensen got a hat trick, and they called it the Stanley Matthews no, final. No, But what, as, as a kid, funny enough, I supported Wolves. And everybody said, why is that? And we didn't have a telly, um, but the lady across the road, my mum's friend Tilly, um, she had a telly. So in 1954, I used to go over there, I was nine, and watch the Great Wolves play... Moscow, wasn't it? Sp- uh, Spartak Sp- Moscow, Sp- yeah, of Hungary, yeah. 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 And I have become oh, just, just absolutely mesmerised. My like, Wolves was my team. My mum uh, knitted me a scarf. Billy Wright was my favourite player. I had all these scarfs, rattles. I had uh, scrapbooks of Billy Wright personally and the Wolves, and I've still got them to this day. Really? And, uh, you know, I met Billy Wright after that on a couple of occasions, which was unbelievable because
2: he was my hero. You know what I mean? Tell us about playing in front of ninety three thousand people in the schoolboys. schoolboy national. Ninety three thousand people against Scotland, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it was it was
3: unbelievable. We was five 0 up actually, and um, they pulled it back. Playing for Scotland that day was uh, Bobby Moncur, who came come to United but decided to go to Newcastle. George Graham played for Scotland that day. Um, playing Plea. for England was was Len Badger, who's a legend at Sheffield United. Um, David Pleet who was brilliant, and Ronnie Harris. I shared a room with Ronnie Harris. So all them went on to become great players, great managers. I went on to become a has-been that never was, really.
2: (laughs) Barry, we talked there about um, what well, doesn't happen these days, how you scored for England schoolboys against Scotland in front of 93,000 people at Wembley. Uh, your teammates that day included, you say, Ron Chopper, Harris, Len Badger, a legend up at Sheffield United, and another boys we're going to hear right now, of course, the uh, former Spurs, Luton, and much else besides manager, David please. Good evening, David. Good evening, Danny. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I, actually, actually, well, I'd like to get your memories as well because it's such an unusual thing—ninety-three thousand people for a schoolboy international at Wembley, David. What was that like?
4: Well, I tell you what, Danny, I don't know where the other two thousand were because I always thought it was ninety-five <laughs> thousand. Listen, it was. But Barry, it was may, not... Barry
2: may have sold the tickets. You don't know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I gave him to Stan. Yeah. It was wonderful it was a wonderful occasion I look back now with the fondest of memories Uh, Bobby Moncur marked me Harry was inside right George Graham played for them I made friends with Alex Willoughby and Jim Forrest sadly one of them has passed away since Mm -hmm. but it was a great occasion five goals five three it was the day Tom Finney retired you know I think it was April or something 1960 and Mm -hmm. Tom Finney retired that day at Preston I think Preston beat Luton that day 2-0 and um Anyway, I don't know if Barry made any of my goals, but I certainly helped him. I helped his career.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you did, pal. Thanks a lot. Well, you know, we're (laughs) going to talk about about Barry's career a little later on, uh, David, and I think by his own admission, it didn't go as well as as he might have hoped at that stage. Was he a good player as a youngster?
4: Oh, of course he was. He was was lively. He was an old-fashioned schemer. And then it became, later on, it became a, an even older-fashioned
2: schemer. Yeah.
4: Uh, and then just old-fashioned, no
2: scheming at all, yeah.
4: <laughs> Bas was a clever player. Um, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of a word. Indefatigable. I think Barry would understand that one. Yeah. yeah he had a load of energy and he was a clever player. And we had a terrific team, and uh, we've retained one or two good friendships all these years.
2: And he's an unusual man in that he has done every single job in football. He's been a player, a coach, a manager, um, a director of football, an owner. He's done every single job it's possible to do in the professional game. Extraordinary, really.
4: Absolutely. The only one I haven't done is an owner, so we've come up the same way. Uh, I haven't got Barry's money. If I had Barry's money, I'd have been an owner. Uh, never mind. I ain't got
3: if any left, mate.
4: No, I know that that's the that's problem, Baz, in football, but you've had a wonderful, wonderful career. I've had, I mean, I've followed Baz all the time. He's never been down. He's never been surly. It's a game of the twin imposters. You know, you, you've got to be able to take the defeats as well as the victories. We've all had some terrible days, but Baz has never, ever sunk, if you like, to that morose type of personality. And that's why he's made so many friends in the game, because he's always cheerful, he's always bubbly, you can always have a conversation with him. Um, I don't think he realises sometimes the warmth towards him by people in the game. I know everyone sees the other side of him, the ebullient uh, sometimes, uh, what's the word, loose language a little bit. uh, Rough diamond is that what it's called Danny, something like uh, that yeah. yeah yeah maybe I'm a lack, smooth of one. <laughs> lack of vocabulary lack of vocabulary he's a lovely guy terrific guy
2: well you've obviously remained friends with him Dave which tells me you've obviously never tried to buy a player from him
4: I, I don't think what happened. No, no he, I'll tell you what he used to do. I'll be honest with you. He's, he had a great friendship with Sir Alex at one time. So, any player that he thought was coming to the boil at, uh, as a youth player, he'd send them to Alex first. <laughs> Alex would have. I, I, I shouldn't say these things. It'll be in my book, Danny. Uh, go on. So, Danny had, Danny'd have a good look. Uh, Sir Alex would. And then, if he rejected them, then I might have had the same choice. <laughs> I have to tell you uh, Matthew Everington, Simon yeah. Davis. Um, there was a goalkeeper, I think. Steele. Um, Steele, steel, steel, yeah, of course. So, yeah, Barry's had had plenty, and uh, you know what can I say? Really, I suppose well, he owes me a lot.
3: What <laughs> about Rob? Jo- what about <laughs> Rob Johnson, who you took off me as a sixteen-year-old boy at Bedford Town, and three years right, later, hang on, hang on, he's hang winning at Wembley. I'm ready for this
4: one. What about the boy that I loaned to Bedford Town when Mr. Fry was in charge, and all of a sudden, I don't know what went wrong with the paperwork. He turns up as one of the first players in the Wimbledon w- wonderful story.
3: Phil Driver. Phil,
2: Phil Driver. Well <laughs> done, Barry. That's
4: right. Yeah, you've got a good memory.
2: But David, you've known Barry all these years. You must have known better than to leave him with the paperwork. But listen, thank you for giving us some flavour of him <laughs> as a young person. And I'm glad that your friendship has endured, despite all those sorts of things. Thank you very much.
4: Yeah, take care. All the best. Yeah.
2: Cheers. Thanks, David. David Plate there, talking about uh, some of the things you got up to. Um... We were talking about how you, um, how you've, of course, you'd star as a schoolboy, and it's no surprise, therefore, that you get snapped up by a big club. Why Manchester United?
3: Well, to be honest, um, every club in the country wanted me, as they did with every England schoolboy. And apart from Wolves, funny enough, the team I supported, they was whoever was scouting for them was a good judge at the time, because yeah. yeah. he didn't fancy me. <laughs> so Joe Armstrong, the uh, Man United scout, invited my mum and dad and I up to... Um, Old Trafford for three days and it was when they was playing in the Youth Cup so um, I went off with the, the youth team to Davy Hume Golf Club where they had a pre, uh, pre-match meal there and Nobby Styles was there mm-hmm. he was the captain of the youth team at the time and i was with him and he had so much passion and so much to say about manchester united and about sir matt and jimmy murphy and johnny aston and joe armstrong he just sold me the club before he, he was absolutely Bobby mm-hmm. stars did wow Star, he was brilliant so we went back to um uh, the, the game at old trafford the youth game i uh, Jimmy Murphy took me in the the dressing room, so I heard everything that was said and what have you. And then I sat behind him during the game, and I was well impressed. And there was about thirty thousand; it was absolutely brilliant. So I was sold on Man United.
2: So you signed for them at the you know the end of the fifties, at the start of the sixties. Manchester United. Of course, they're still trying to recover from the Munich air disaster. What kind of club did you find Manchester United at that time? Well, it it was nineteen
3: sixty. I joined them, and obviously. Um, 58 was um, the disaster day, and uh, it affected the whole club, really. Um, Jimmy Murphy, who was Sir Matt's uh, assistant, he would talk about Duncan Edwards every day of the week. Uh, which was brilliant. He had so much respect for him and he was going to be the best player that ever was. Bobby Charlton, um, Harry Gregg was there at the time and and, and one morning Bobby would come in and say, all right, lads, to all us apprentices and and talk and the next day he'd just come in and walk straight by us. But Wilf McGuinness was brilliant. Um, He got hold of us and said, look, but Bob is Bob still hurting from what happened and things like that. So it was a very, very funny sort of atmosphere at the time. There, they was trying to recover, and it was with great difficulty, really. But. Um, we all got over it.
2: You uh, you signed for them full time in March of 1962, so just before your seventeenth birthday. I've got the details here in front of me. Um, 12, 12 pounds and eight shillings a week, and eight pounds in the summer for you, Fry. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, uh, the maximum wage was twenty quid a week yeah, then. I yeah, but never, you're, not, you're not I never quid. even got that from anyone. <laughs> no, George Easton might have be been getting that, not you. Um, but Matt, Matt Busby in the Manchester Evening News described you as the Northern Jimmy Greaves, so they were really had high hopes. No,
3: options. he did. I, I scored a lot of goals for the youth team. I scored a lot of goals and funnily enough I made my debut at 16 for the central league side and, and again funnily enough it was at Wolverhampton the team I supported as a boy so I'd done well and the boss called me in um, about a week before my birthday and said that um, he'd done so well and, and um, all the management team uh, thought I had a great future and uh, full of potential and he offered me this uh, professional contract which I gladly signed but uh, there you go
2: we, um, we'll talk about, about about what happened to you at Manchester United in a second, but of course you say the club is trying to recover. I guess one of the things that helps them to become from the disaster in 58 to champions of England and champions of Europe in less than 10 years is the arrival of somebody who comes in a year behind you but comes on to be your great friend, George Best.
3: Yeah, that was right. I mean, when I went to United... Um... Uh, the boss, Matt Busby, always used to say, he said to Johnny Giles and to Nobby Stiles, you know, keep an eye out for me. And, mm-hmm. and, and both of them looked after me. They'd give me their cast-off in clothes and things like that, you know, coming from a little village called Bedford. <laughs> they looked after me. They was brilliant. And and I remember the boss calling me in one day and um, he said, I've got these... Uh, you. He said you're a flash cockney so-and-so mm-hmm. I said thanks boss
2: cockney he said, from Bedford, oh, I know. Yeah, I know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so he said um, I've got these two shy Belfast boys coming over Eric McMordy and George Beston. I want you to look after them." well I must have done such a good job on George that he yeah. ran home after two days <laughs> 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 but um, actually I was in digs at the time Mrs Scott's and and I was with Eamon Dunphy and a boy called Mike Lorimer uh, but Eamon and I shared a room and agent was Eamon was very intelligent always had something to say and I was always getting him out of fights um, and things like that but uh, he went on to become a, a, a great player him and Hugh Curran went to
2: Millwall and whenever I was no, he's still, he's still, a, still a star anything. of Irish television he is the absolute yeah. star of their, of yeah, their no, coverage no, of football
3: he, he always had plenty to say Eamon must have been
2: quite a tricky room to be in with you Eamon
3: well it was yeah he, he had Plenty to say, and um, uh, but but he always got himself in trouble, you know, he'd, he'd always say the wrong thing with the senior pros at Old Trafford and they wanted, you know, they picked him up to give him a right-hander and I'd jump in because he was my roommate, so Harry Gregg picked us both up and smashed our heads together and we finished up on that the That sounds like Harry, yeah. And and, uh, and Wilf McGuinness, uh, him and Eamon sort of squared up and then Eamon was a real little fella and I, I jumped in again and wilf and i used to fight <laughs> but not nothing to do with wilf and i it was to do with amen but he, he's a great lad amen he was a good footballer but he very intelligent
2: man he had always something to say and uh, it was good old days we'll come back to george best because of course he comes back and plays for you later on in your remarkable yeah, story yeah. which we'll come back to in a second tell me if you're you so much you know so much um, to promise here Why didn't you make it at Manchester United and why didn't you become a top footballer, Barry? Well, I think uh,
3: for the first two years as an apprentice, I stayed in, I looked after myself. As soon as I become a pro... Um, I sort of went off the rails, you know, the, the lads would go to the races in the afternoon. I didn't have a car then, and I used to jump in with a car. We used to go to ADOC races, Doncaster races, Chester races. Then we'd come home, and I used to go to the dogs, sulfur Dogs, White City Dogs, Bellevue Dogs, and then I'd go to, to a nightclub and things like that. So, And then, um, you know, I got involved in women, gambling, drinking, and, and, and I, I grew up, you know, but... But the thing is, when you're a professional footballer, you've got to sacrifice all these things. In, I mean, people do now because one contract, you can become a millionaire sure. overnight. In them days, it wasn't the same. But I remember uh, a, a top newspaper come to me and said, would I write a story about uh, Matt Busby, about how he didn't help me and why I failed at Old Trafford? And I, I refused. Well, I said the only reason I failed at Old Trafford, mate, was because of me. Women. Booze, gambling. That was my fault, not Matt Busby. Matt Busby was brilliant.
5: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage,
2: Barry, this section of the programme, I want to talk about the rest of your playing days after you leave Manchester United. And you've been good enough to come here and people are listening to your life story. I've got to be very careful not to be impolite here. <laughs> Won't take long, Danny. This is it this is, but you're still playing professional <laughs> and semi-professional football for years yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Um, Bolton, uh, Luton, you go to then you fall into the non-leagues, Gravesend, yeah. Back of the Orient, Romford, Bedford, Dunstable, St Albans City, etc. But you never seem to play any games, Barry. There's two or three games yet. This is a career that has fizzled out. What happened? Well, I was always injured.
3: for uh, And um, in, in my career, I, I, a dead leg is just getting a kick on the thigh and it bruising and the bruising disappearing and all that. With me, on three occasions, I had dead legs. Um, but the bruising didn't disperse. It clotted. So I had to have operations. That's pretty dangerous, so, isn't so, it? Well, it was, yeah. It was four four months out, four months out, four months out throughout the thing, and it kept on occurring. And the doctors told me in the end, that it, or in the beginning, you know, you're going to have to stop playing football and having contact. So, you know, at 20-odd, you don't tend to notice the doctors. No. But, you see, well, in years later, I had two heart attacks, and it was because my blood clotted And it was picked up very early I think in nowadays uh, it had been picked up in the first one but but it wasn't uh, you know you didn't look into it so much then so it it interrupted my career every club I went to really and it limited my games but talking about when I left um, Manchester United uh, Matt Busby called me in the office he said Barry you you haven't progressed the way we thought you would Um, you know I'm going to give you a free transfer but I've had Bolton on and they were to sign you noel campwell was our captain at the time and uh, i told noel and noel said baz i'll get you to to south end my old manager right uh, ben fenton ted fenton was there so anyway but the bolton people come round, and they sort of convinced me to go to bolton and uh, Bill Riddin was the manager, Nat Lofthouse was his uh, reserve team manager, and he, he was good. And I'll never forget my third game for Bolton was at Ninian Park. And the um, we had a good side at Bolton in them days. We had the England goalkeeper, Eddie Hopkinson, and this particular game he rolled the ball out to our right fullback Roy Art, who struck it like a cannonball straight at me. Thank goodness Freddie Hill shouted, leave it. So he pulled it down, played a one-two with Francis Lee, hit this ball out to our little outside left on the halfway line, Gordon Taylor. He's caught it on his chest, he's trapped it on his thigh. The right wing has come to him, he's beat him. The right half's come to him, he's beat him. The right back's come to him, he's beat him. The big outside uh, the big centre half's come to chop him in half, he's pushed it by him, his legs, he's run from the halfway line to the byline and he's hit this great crossover. Now playing centre forward from us at the time was six foot five, Wynne Davis. Now Wynne jumped eight foot five. But playing for Cardiff was the late, the great gentle giant John Charles. Wow. So he jumped the same height. Fortunately for me, they both missed it, hit me and went in. Go! <laughs> Goal. Danny, goal. I only tell you that. That was my first league goal. My <laughs> first league goal. And as it
2: happened, it turned out to be my last my and last all, mate. My last one, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're actually on the scrappy. That's the word yeah, I use. Mean. just yeah. six years after you leave Manchester United. Yeah. When you go down to, with all due respect to Gravesend and Northfleet. you were declared bankrupt at some stage in this period as well. Yeah, I
3: was. I, I was. I was working as a mortgage broker, and I was earning a lot of money. I used to work for a firm called Julian S. Hodge, um, which was a financing that 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 done all loans, second mortgages and all things like that. And the agents used to get more than what I got. So all of a sudden I become a broker and, and got the money. I was very, very successful I Had three or four houses. I had two racehorses. And I went to America for six weeks, and while I was out in America, my horse won a seller uh, and I didn't have nothing on it. And um, and Julian S. Hodge, because there was an American pyramid scheme at the time that I used to put all my business through, and when I come back, I expected thousands and thousands and thousands of money. But while I'd been away, during this Hodge, because somebody got evicted from the house, they got powered by Lushy, so they wasn't going to deal with anybody that wanted money to invest in this um, pyramid scheme. So, of course, I come home, and instead of coming home to you know, thousands and thousands. I come home to nothing. My racehorse had won a seller. I had to give the trainer some money. (laughs) Um, I went to see my bank manager, and to be fair to him, he said, Barry, you've got no alternative but to declare yourself bankrupt. So that was the worst thing I ever done. Um, But it was very difficult. Lost all my houses, lost my cars, lost everything, started again, and and it was absolutely awful. Um, How old were you then, Barry? Uh, 20-odd. It really was. Well, wow, bang, you know what I mean? Um, but t- talking about football, I, I went to Luton as well. Luton was very successful. Politi played at Luton when I played at Luton, but George Martin said, y- y- you know, go away. And I signed for Gravesend and North Fleet, and after England schoolboys, Manchester United, Bolton and Luton, everybody said, Gravesend and North Fleet, Bas-. So I said, well, I've got to be honest, they was the only club in the entire country that wanted me. Oh, then after three months, Walter Ricketts called me in the office i said yeah i know walter i'm useless he went no no dick graham's here from the orient he wants to sign you i said it's got to be april fool's day isn't it <laughs> anyway dick signed me and i went to the orient and um funny enough i've got so much to thank dick graham for because although i didn't play much for him i wasn't in this the team at this particular time and and, and the trainer didn't turn up so dick said I need a sponge man for today's game. So I said, oh, I'll do it, because it, it yeah. was an involvement. I loved the involvement. Sure. So Dick was very superstitious, and we won the game, and I kept that job for seven games as <laughs> trainer. <laughs> but during that period of time, he, ra- he he rang up one morning, and he said, Barry, I'm going to be late. I want you to take training. Well, we had people like Brian Whitehouse, Cliff Holt, and you know, we coaches, all experienced yeah. proper pros and all that, and for him to say that... <laughs> anyway so I took training and and what but then it was at the at, at the ground on the pitch and then I see his head bobbing up so he wasn't late he'd just give me the job oh. to see how I went on and to be fair he introduced me to to that side of it and 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 I loved that side and and then of course that that's when I got into it later on but he, he 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 done
2: uh, he done very very well by stealth by stealth. You you end your playing career as you say. The injuries keep coming, and we'll, you mm. know the, the blood clots lead to your heart attacks later mm. on, as you as you said. Um, and that could have been the end of it. But I guess that bit of training at uh, 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 Lake Nore and whatever you think about football takes you into management. In all that time you were trying to be a professional football, had you thought about being a manager?
3: Never, never. So you know, how did come I, about
2: was, I was only 20-odd. Well, yeah. how it come
3: about was I'd, I'd, I'd had a lot of clubs. Uh, they, a lot of clubs made me captain when, when I appeared for them <laughs> and things like that. So I always had sort of a responsibility, and I, and I liked the responsibility. But my first managerial post was, was at Dunstable when I was a player there, and they got rid of the, the manager. And I'll never forget, it was March 1974, and they invited me to come play a manager. Well, Dunstable had finished bottom of the league for about six, seven, eight times on the trot. For me, there was only one way to go. But funny enough, after that, I've lasted 31 years in management. And I, like you, Danny, are absolutely amazed I lasted that long. (laughs) Because it's only so far bullshit can take you. (laughs) But the, the, the Dunstable thing... Um, we finished the end of the season, bottom of the league again. And I had to do something, which I did in the summer. Before well, you did something
2: remarkable it. when you brought in some brilliant footballs. Before that, though, tell me about the Dunstable chairman. I mean, later on, we're going to talk about Stan Flashman when you're talking mm. about. But Mr. Cheeseman, who is still alive, I believe, yeah, yeah, um, was an extraordinary character as well. Oh, he was, without a doubt. I mean, we're...
3: Dunstable. when i become manager I, it was run by a committee of two ladies and four gentlemen you know and uh but shortly after that just at the end of the season this guy come in the office he said oh, i've just i've just bought controlling interest keith Duncible, cheeseman keith <laughs> cheeseman i said oh yeah and he said oh i want you to get this i want you to get that i want you to get i said hold on mate what what business are you in he said building i said well i don't tell you how to build houses don't tell me to build a football club I said have you got any money he said yeah so I said what you prepared to give me is a budget so he told me and all that and I said well okay you know, our crowds are 34, 43, you know what I mean? Not, nothing at all. We've got to get somewhere to let people know. Your first crowd at Dunstanville was 34,
2: paying spectators. Correct. <laughs> it's unbelievable.
3: <laughs> but he, he allowed me, Keith allowed me to go to Manchester and ask Bestie to, to guest for us in two pre-season friendlies to get the interest going. And um, I, I went and asked George in his nightclub, and George said, yeah, I'll play, Baz. Um, but Tommy Docherty's got my registration so I said no problem I'll go in the cliff in the morning and see Tom well I didn't know Tom so I went in the cliff in the car park there was Paddy Claren now I knew Paddy because he had been there for four years I was there he's now not a player Paddy he's assistant manager Tom so I said all right, Paddy he went yeah I said I've come to see Tommy Doc he said do you know him I went nah he said I'll take you up to his office so he took me up knocked the door Doc shouted come in went in Paddy says, Boss, this is one of our old players, Barry Fry. Barry, this is the boss, Tommy Doherty. Mm-hmm. Pleased to meet you, he said. What can I do for you, son? I said, You, Tom, can give me permission to play George Best in two pre season friendlies. He said, What club do you belong to? I said, Dunstable. Dunster Bubble? What makes you think best will play for you at Dunster Bubble and I can't get him to play here at Man United? Paddy said they was kids together. Yeah, go and ask him. Well, I'd already asked him. So anyway, I went to the cafe, waited a couple of hours, had a few cups of tea, bit of toast, come back, Paddy's in the car park. I went, Paddy, great mate. Besties agreed to play, he went, yeah, I know, he phoned me last night. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he took me up, knocked the door, the doc shouted, come in, we went in, he'd finished training, he was in the bath. So I said, thanks a million, Tom, besties agreed to play, he shot out that bath, he said, besties agreed to play with you, it dunced a bubble, who's your opponents? So I said, I don't know, I haven't got anybody yet. So then he said, can you believe, I'll bring a Man United 11. So one Tuesday night, George Best guesting for Dunstable Town v Man United 11, we had 10,000 people inside Creasy Park, another 5,000 couldn't get in in the high street. And we was on news at ten, and we beat them 'em three-two. Dunster bubble arrived. Right.
2: Barry, you talked about getting George Best to put Dunster bubble on the map. Yeah. Um. But it's some. It's another ex-international footballer that you bring to the club that I think changed the fortune of that club, and I think changes your fortune probably forever. You 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 somehow persuaded former England centre forward. 1970 World Cup, Pelé and all that Jeff Astle to play for Dunstable Yeah, Jeff had had two bad injuries at uh, West
3: Brom and um, where he was king, he was absolute legend, still is today and um, I persuaded him to play part-time football uh, because his knees would be up to it I think he had two cartilage operations and what have you and um, he he, he signed for me, he also worked for my chairman Keith Cheeseman, he had a, a a business, uh, WW Parish, West Midlands business. He wanted Jeff to become director of that and promote it because of the publicity he'd get and things like that. Um, but Jeff was really only interested in playing football. He was magnificent, Jeff, for me, both on and off the field. He was my best sign in. Um, if you used to give Jeff a bollocking, he was first in in the morning to, to put it right and he'd accept it. Um, as a player he scored 34 goals for me we won
2: the league that year Yeah, with 34 we 34
3: goals having finished bottom won't...
2: 9 successive yeah, seasons yeah. And that, that,
3: that was a remarkable achievement and, and Jeff got 34 of them goals and, uh, and we scored 105 league goals in that promotion season but Jeff was, was the main man everybody looked at him and we'd give him a job on, on the commercial side and he used to love going to the pubs he used to like a drink he used to like to play dominoes but he mixed with the punters he was a real uh, great bloke, and you know, on the coach he would sing coming back. He would tell jokes. He was really brilliant for me, on and off the field, you know, and. Uh I got the greatest respect for that man and his family, and and I'm delighted to, uh, talking about Jeff, mm-hmm. Lorraine, and the girls got justice, and um, it was, you know. Well, um, she's, she's,
2: Lorraine's been on, on here on TalkSport many many times talking about the head injuries that yeah, Jeff, she, 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 brain injuries indeed that yeah, Jeff sustained yeah, because of the yeah. you know the un, look, let's not mess them out here the football of fifty years ago the actual football itself was probably weighed two and a half times what well they were being
3: it asked did to play with it, now. I mean it had a lace and if it got wet I mean if you edited it it knocked you in the middle. The next week, it, it was incredible, and, and she thought and Jeff made his that, living head on oh, the ball. Absolutely, it was a different class. Um, uh, but but um, it wasn't the money, it was nothing to do with the money, it was the principle. The fact that she wanted football to uh, admit that, that, and we've got well, there's loads of similar places all over the country with different players uh, of that era, unfortunately.
2: Keith Cheeseman, your chairman, I know, oh. was in and out of prison the whole time. Mm. Um, he didn't get, I don't know how he got time to sack you, but you did get the sack there eventually. Uh, uh, and you, you then went around at the house a little bit at Hillingdon and Bedford. Yeah. Relegated. I've, got, I, I've,
3: I've got to interrupt you, Danny. Yeah. I've got to tell you about Keith Cheeseman. Go on, then. mate. Go on, mate. Because um, he was absolutely unique. Talking about Jeff Astle, I also signed three players from Ron Atkinson, who was manager of Kettering at the time. George Cleary, Trevor Peck and uh, John Hawksby. And I paid him two grand. Keith used to go away a lot. He used to leave me a blank checkbook, but he'd signed all the things. So I bought these off Ron. Ron came. we bought these players, he went. They played for us on Saturday, we won. They all scored, they was brilliant and all that. Then on the Tuesday, Ron rang me up and said, Baz... You this, you that, you the other. He went absolutely berserk when that sent me. I said, What's the matter with you? He said, Your checks bounced. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, this is my first experience of this guy. So, I phoned him up because he was never there. I said, Keith. You've just embarrassed me, you know. We bought a player and, and the cheque's bounced and all that. He said, what what bank account did you give him out of? I said, the, back, the, the Bank of Ireland, the cheque, you left me. Oh, I left you the wrong one. I've shut that account. I'll, I'll send you another one. Anyway, eventually got sorted, but that was my first thing. My second thing, after we won the league and all that, and and the following year we was in the Premier League, Southern League, Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> and um, come October, Keith called me in the office and said, Barry, I'm a Christmas party. I want you to get all the players' names and addresses and tell them if they wanted to invite their mums and dads or aunts or uncles or br- or mates, anybody, who just want names and addresses. So I just told the lads, look, keep showing the party. Give me your names and addresses. Whoever you want to ring, you give me twenty. You give me thirty. You give me 15, <laughs> You give me twenty-two. I finished up with hundreds, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of names and addresses. Okay. So I give it. I give it the key. Fought no more of it. We had a Christmas party. Fought no more of it. And then sl- seven Black Mariahs come into Creasy Park and they've arrested the chairman. <laughs> Now, what he'd done with all these names and addresses was took 10 grand loans out in everybody's name. No! <laughs> he got six years for embezzling three quarters of a
2: million. (laughs) I tell you what, I wish I'd have thought about it. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, with with all due respect then to Hillingdon Football Club and Bedford and the scouting you did at Luton Everton, your next turn up in 1978 um, at Barnet Football Club. A club's never been in it, of course, on the edges of the league, but never in the Football League. And this is where you've spent a large chunk of your career first in, a, I think, a relatively normal club that was trying to get into the Football League and latterly, when it was bought by Stan Flashman, the famous ticket tout, under the uh, the watchful eye of an even more extraordinary chairman. Tell us about your time at Barnet. Well, the first five
3: years was fine um, because uh, Dave Underwood was chairman at the time. Um, Underwood en- at Underhill, yeah. <laughs> yeah, t- t- Ted Hennessy, uh, Freddie Philpin... Peter Davis, um, Tom Hill. that They was all good football people. Jimmy Greaves played for us. Yeah. Um, he was there when I went there uh, to begin with. We had five years, but we struggled. You know, if two went down, we finished third from bottom. If three went down, we finished fourth from bottom. It was a real struggle. And one day we had a board meeting one evening and um, Ted Hennessy, the finance man, said, look, we're trading insolvent. I've got to resign. So Dave says, no, you can't do that, Ted. Leave it till tomorrow. Leave it till tomorrow, I've I've got a plan. So Ted said, well, okay, in my capacity as an accountant, I'm telling you we're trading insolvent. Anyway, Ted left it because he was big mates with Dave. And in the next morning, Ted phoned me up, say, I've just had a letter delivered in Ted. uh, Ted says, Dave's resigned. What does that mean, Baz? I said, well, you're vice chairman, you've got to take over. But what a bit of luck. In his vice chairman seat, right, who he said we was insolvent, we got drawn against Brighton in the third round of the FA Cup. Now, Brighton was in the top league at the time. We was non-league, struggling like anything. That was on match of the day with John Mots and all that. So we got some money for that. We got some money for the advertising. We drew nought-nought. So we went to the Goldstone ground, 18,000 people. We lost 3-1. Gary Sargent got a great goal for us. But Mike Bailey, the manager, fancied my left back, Graham Pearce. Uh-huh. Now, Graham Pierce, we trained Tuesday and Thursday. He was a printer so he bought him for 35 grand. but the story is a year later from a part time footballer at barnet he ran out at wembley
2: in the fa cup in final the Brighton, guess, in the fa cup final, which they
3: drew and he ran out again they talk about the romance of the FA Cup, and that really is a must I remember story. Pierce,
2: long black hair, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: and of course, with, with Ted Hennessy, the accountant, saying we're insolvent, we've got all this money for all these, these two games and selling of a player, and then we come out the other end, so he was a short term as a chairman, but he got Barnett back on the thing, but after five years, we we was really struggling, and and nobody could keep it going, so... And I wasn't getting paid. My wife got pregnant. I still ain't found a uh, person responsible for that. So I had to move on. You went to Maidstone. Uh, yeah, I went to Maidstone. Well, a couple of things happened to me at Maidstone. Apart from getting a sack, of course. Uh huh. Um. I was in the office one day, and the phone went, and I picked it up, and the uh, guy said, "Mr. Fry, I went, "Yes, Paul." He said, "Interpol here." I went, "Interpol." He went, yeah. He said, Do you know a Keith Cheeseman? I said, Yeah, <laughs> well, of course. Again. I do. He said, Would you reckon? I said, I worked for him for 18 months. He said, Would you recognise him? I said, Of course I would, without his arms. <laughs> so I said, Yeah, of course I would. He said, Would you recognise him without his legs? I said, yeah, of course I would. He said, would you recognise him without his head? I said, I didn't know him that well. <laughs> he rang me up two weeks later. He said, Mr Fry, you'll be pleased to know that these arms and legs and the head we found don't belong to Keith Cheeseman. But the best story is, I was sat in the office at Maidstone one day and the phone goes again. Picks the phone up and the geezer at the other end says, "Bazza, Harry Redknapp here, Bournemouth. I went, hello, H. He said, Mark Newson." I said, oh, what a player, Mark Newson! Play at the back like Bobby Moore, reads it majestically, or he can play in midfield like Brian Robson, wins it, passes it, bombs by the front people, scores goals, 300 grand, Harry. He said, that's funny, Buzz. He said, I've just put the phone down to John Young, who's in charge of registrations at the FA, and he tells me you haven't even got him signed on. So I said, Don't be flash airy with me, Red I said we signed Mark Newsom as a non contract player because we Released him from his contract so he could play at Tottenham Hotspurs. But before doing that, Jim Thompson, our manager, uh, our chairman, got him to sign a blank blue contract. So you've got to give me seven days' notice of approach. I'll get that contract out of my drawer and I'll fill in all the blanks. I'll send it off to the FA and you'll owe me three hundred grand, Redknapp. So he says, "This is a courtesy call, Baz." He said, "When you was out to lunch with Jim Thompson yesterday." mark Newsom and come into your office and he said he's took that contract and i'm filling in the blanks and i'm sending it off to the fa and by the sounds of it it saved me 300 grand i've gone mad i said you unethical thief you you i called him all the names under the sun i said ah, rednap next time i see you i'll blow your legs off I was annoyed, Danny. I was annoyed. Hey, next time I see Harry Redknapp, was it Ascot?
2: He give me a sixty-six to one winner, and we've been the best of mates ever since. So in some ways, this programme has been leading up to the next ten minutes. Uh, your second spell at Barnet, um, uh, where the club was in the fifth tier of English football, looking to get into the into the, into the football league and was owned now by Stan Flashman um, in the papers every week, uh, often helping the police with their inquiries as he as he ran a business that he, he himself said. He was a ticket tower, wasn't he, Stan? From his flat. I can't remember where it was. But he initially had a flat, didn't he, where he used to do all his business in Barnet somewhere, where he said he could get you tickets for anything, including royal weddings. Uh, tell us about the second spell at Barnet. Well, um... Stan was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. One
3: minute, he was the most generous man you've ever met in your life. The next minute, evil, Knievel, threatening, unbelievable. I had nine years with Stanley. Lee. During those nine years, we finished second three times in the conference. This was
2: in the days when only one went up, though. Yep,
3: yep. Um, We won the conference, scoring 103 goals, getting into the Football League. In our first year in the Football League, Stan made us uh, stay part-time, but we got in the playoffs. In the second year of the Football League, we got automatic promotion during them nine years stanley flashman sacked me 37 times seriously <laughs> he, we, we had a roller coaster ride he was unbelievable guy um i'd never been to a show until i met stan and uh he used to give two tickets uh, and the players and the refs if they made the right decisions mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he um he was very generous two together with shirley bassey johnny mathis um, all the top artists, uh, Cats, Le Miserables, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. We went everywhere. It was unbelievable. Um, and But one particular day, he always used to pay me on a Friday, so I used to go round his house and he used to sit... He had more money than the bank stand. He had more in tickets. In cash in his house? cash. He used to sit on a, on a chair and he used to be six foot up in the air because there was all money under the chair. It was, he, uh, you, you couldn't write the story. it was unbelievable mean, He was a larger than
2: life character. Absolutely. He sat sack, there with man. his
3: vest and his underpants. That's all he'd done. <laughs> Shouting at Helen, his wife, to get him a bagel and a cup of tea. <laughs> unbelievable. But he, he was round there one day. I was on the phone. he come off the phone. He said, oh, I've cracked it. I've got these two international artist he said I'm gonna make make fortunes millions I said who them he said Michael Jackson I said oh my kids love him and he says um, <clears throat> Frank Sinatra so I said oh Stan Frank Sinatra is my favorite oh, I love him how much is two together so he says 1,500 quid 1, so I says I don't love him that much <laughs> anyway Mumps and mumps and months later I'm at home and the phone goes and I picks it up and it's Stanley, up friend, he says, where are you? I said, I'm at home, you just rang me, what do you want? <laughs> He said, I've got tickets for you. I said, what for? He said, Frank Sinatra. I said, when for? He said, tonight. I said, where at? He said, the Royal Albert Hall. This is the first night. I said, oh, thanks a million, Stan. Curse, we're going out. Get ready. Jump in the car, go down to Ridge Lane, Bib the Helen, his wife, comes out, gives us the tickets. We go to the Royal Albert Hall, watch the show. Next day, Friday, I'm back in, back in his house. I said, Stan, thanks a million. That is the best night of my life. Frank Sinatra, perfect with all the songs, Liza Minnelli, come on, oh, great seat, Stan. best night of my life, I couldn't thank him enough, I was there three hours, anyway I got up to go, I said Stan, I'm off mate, I'll see you at the game tomorrow, so he said, what are you standing up for? said, me wages. He said, Wages? You ain't got any wages for three weeks. You got payment for them Frank Sinatra tickets. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Are you... he, he, he was he was evil Knievel. He threatened
2: the players. He well, threatened well, to me. Well, well, well you, in, your, in your book, I mean, the exact words I've written down here in the notes, he threatened to put you in the concrete under a motorway bridge. No, no they was building the M25,
3: the bridges at the time, and he threatened to put me in there. <laughs> And that was only because I picked a player that he didn't want me to
2: pick. He also, he also, um, he also, was it the boy's name, Willis? He also threatened to, uh, I mean, had threatened to break a player's legs.
3: Well, he threatened to do all sorts with Harry. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, we, we played Boston and we needed to win the game to go top of the league. And uh, we drew the game 0-0. But we did the post uh, three times with it. The other post twice, we bit the underside of the bar twice unbelievable you know it wouldn't go in and the players are come in and they've all got their heads down and what have you and I'm saying oi oi get your heads up brilliant we've only got five games to go if we play like that in the remaining five games law of averages instead of it in the woodwork they'll go in so, come on we can still win this league with that he comes in the door comes off its hinges and he said, you lot are taking the mickey out of me, you don't want to win. I said, shut up, Stan, I've just, I've just told them how well they've done and all this and all that and if they play like that the remaining five games, we'll still win the league and go up. You don't know what you're talking about and you, Willis, you'll never play for this football club again, he goes. Never play for this football club again. I'm ripping your contract up. I said, you can't do that. He said, can't I? Got the contract out, ripped it up in bits and pieces, threw it at Harry's feet. Harry's looked at me I said don't take the notes of that Harry that's our contract mate yours is lodged with the FA Stan what are you picking on Harry for Willis you'll never play for this football club again get out of my sight he said you Willis hit the post three times on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) well, nobody hits the post on purpose, I said, shut up, Stan, you don't know what you're talking about. You you, you know, so I had a big row. Anyway, Harry, he said, if you come in the ground next Tuesday, I'll have all my mates in the car park and I'll have baseball bats and we'll smash you over the head, we'll smash your legs and if you're still standing, my mate will have a machine gun and shoot you dead. Well, Harry went white. (laughs) He still had his shirt, shorts, socks and boots on. He bent down, he picked his shoes up, got his suit and he walked out of the, the dressing room. Didn't I said, change. see you Tuesday, Harry. He said, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> he did come back, did he? He did come oh. back. Um I told him that Stan wouldn't be there for this particular game and he said, uh, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. But on you know, Tuesday, I said, look, we're playing. I need you, Harry. Nicky, Nicky Evans is injured. Peter, I need you desperately for this game. You've got to come back. Anyway, I said, just in case, don't park in the car park. Park in the cricket pavilion and we'll let you in. Half an hour ago, we'd done that. <clears throat> we won 5-2, he scored a hat trick, and we're drinking champagne out of the cup, right? Yeah. Then, Brian Ayres comes in into the office after, and he went, Harry, Stan wants you. So, Harry's looked at me, and said, you told me you weren't here. I said, Oh no. I said, he weren't. Where is he, Brian? He said, he's on the phone. I said, Dad, he's only on the phone. Go and speak to him. So off he went down the corridor, come back, and all the lads are going, wow, wow. What happened, Harry? So Harry said, Stan says, go back in that dressing room and tell that fat, useless manager Fry, that's the way to motivate <laughs> your players. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he was he was a terrible man sometimes, but he was brilliant for Barnet. He put us on the map and well, all that.
2: You know, and for all the stories about paying the players in um oh, no. on, in, in counterfeit money and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. In 1991, something, some combination of you, he, and the lads, yeah. um, do something remarkable and get Barnet, who'd never been anywhere near the football league really, exactly into right. the football league. That's Tell us about winning that title.
3: Well, winning that title, we. We, we had to win the previous three times when we finished second second and second we had to win the last game and we did but but the other sides won you know scarborough Darlington, and and um and lincoln it was all full time so so yeah. they went up instead of us we had to win the last game against fisher and um we went one down we equalized we went two one down we equalized and then we got two late goals uh and when we scored the fourth goal, which was a penalty, I ran across the pitch, went up to the director's box and give Stan a big kiss. It was a remarkable achievement, like you say, Little Barnet winning... The conference and getting into the Football League was an amazing achievement. But I've got to thank Stan for that because um, he did provide uh, the money for the players. We sold a lot of players for a lot of money as well. Um, But he put some of it back in and uh, it was an amazing time. And we got in the Football League and, and like I say, got in the playoffs the first year, got automatically the second year. And then he went wrong, the, you know. the... What went um,
2: wrong? And how did it end for you there at Barnet?
3: Well, it ended disastrous really, because we stopped being paid, and all the players was upset, and I was upset, and I used to talk to Stan, and he didn't want to know, and things like that. And then, then we was at training one day, and about six cars turned up with all um, uh, inspectors of taxes, paye people, and they called me in the office, and they said, "Look." Um, it's fraud, it's evasion of tax, it's this, that, and all that. We didn't know nothing about it. He says, so we need you and your players to cooperate. None of you'll be in trouble but so the coppers we didn't train that morning or afternoon because um, the inland revenue uh, it quizzed everybody and all that what what' I'd actually done i didn't and, and then he went then he went and then the club went down and bankrupt and I wasn't getting paid the players wasn't getting paid so so I had to move on to be fair but it, it was an extraordinary thing because of so much he'd done for us um, you know he was an unbelievable character but he had done so much for the lads and even if he welched on the lads the, the the lads would have robbed a bank for him sort of thing you know what i mean
2: barry it's easy now for us to look back on this slightly rosily and you could easily write a very funny comic novel or comic film about what went on there you know uh, or sort of a comic crime thing but this was the time when you had your two heart attacks now i know you had a, you have your blood disorder and we talked yeah. about that do you think the stress and strains of running a club with someone like stan flashman contribute to your heart attacks
3: well I've never thought about it like that. Um, there was certainly never a dull moment with Stanley. Um, you know, he was always fighting and all that. But he was very knowledgeable about football. I used to love his company, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what happened? I mean, and it wasn't until I uh, become an old age pensioner and got my um, pension out and when i got a, a letter about my punch and it said that you've been unemployed from such and such a date to such and such a date which was 6 6 years and 2 months think no
2: national insurance contributions well
3: well i've never been unemployed in my life so fortunately my missus in <clears throat> in the attic keeps all my wage slips all that so fortunately i was i i could prove that money had been stopped out of my wages national insurance tax and things like that but obviously, everybody at Barnet during that period of time, when they become of age, it will affect them and it affects you. And if they haven't kept their pay slips like I did, they won't get it. they they won't get any contributions. They won't get any money for that period of time. Which so when you think about it like that, it, it was it was a bit naughty. But Stan was a likable rogue. He was a football nut, and uh, you had your ups and downs with him. But Barnet wouldn't have got in the football league without Stan Flashman, one million percent.
2: Barry, uh, we've just been hearing about the uh, the wonderful times and the insanity of Barnet at that time. No surprises. April Fool's Day when you take up your new post at Southend United. Talk about the fire, fire and paint of the fire. You got one struggling club, Southend. You join, believe it or not, Southend United were in the second the second tier of English football at the time, but they were seven points adrift on the first of April. And what's happened next, of course, is in not just South End, but football folklore, the original Great Escape. Correct. Um well Stan sacked me for the thirty seventh time, um,
3: and it was in the <laughs> evening standard, and I got a phone call from Vic Jobson to say, you know, would you take the job at South so. You really were sacked this time, were you? Yeah, I really was. It wasn't getting paid. He wasn't he, he couldn't talk to Stan, he was locking himself away. Um people People was after him, right, yeah. left, and centre, and what have you. So, uh, and he was in his bedroom with a sawn off shotgun. So, if you went round his ass, it wasn't worth it. No, no. So, uh, anyway, I went to see Vic, and, and, and he offered me the job at South End. Um, I took it. I'm a football nut, and uh, it was an impossible task. He said, We're bottom of the league, we've got nine games left, we're going down. I said, Don't have such a defeatist. Uh, uh, opinion. So I said, uh, anything can happen in football, you ought to know that. Anyway, I took over on the 1st of uh, April. Um, I didn't take any of my staff with me, obviously. Um, Danny Greaves was a youth team manager, Jimmy's boy, at Southend at the time. So he helped me and, and without his help, I wouldn't have got him out of trouble, he was brilliant It is
2: is worth noting that although the team were adrift, they did have some good players Spencer Pryor, Brett Angel and And, Stan Collymore Well exactly right,
3: I mean when I went in there um, I I talked about the job on the Thursday, on the Friday I met the coach that was going up to Sunderland and uh, I I went down the coach and introduced myself and all the players was looking at the floor and all that and uh, So when we got to there, I said, um, let's go out, let's enjoy ourselves, you know, anybody at back by 2 o'clock I'll find you and all Is
2: this
3: that. the eve of the match? <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I, I, I did, you know, Whatever you've been doing so far It wasn't working so you might as well try you know, the other so, thing yeah. so, so I, I mean uh, uh, i seen Stan on the coat I said a lot of talk about you going mate um, where do you want to go he said well Villa's my club I said well Ron Atkinson's my mate I'll get you to the Villa at, this, at the end of the season but do the stuff for me now We went to Sunderland and won 4-2 up there an unbelievable result, unbelievable performance. We come back and we played West Ham, who was top of the league by a mile on the Wednesday and we beat them 1-0 front of a full house and we were Angel scored from a Stan Collingwood uh, cross he did yeah 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 I mean uh, I think Stan was brilliant for me and uh, so it came to the end of the season we escaped the, the nine games we won six drew two lost one and it was pr- promotion form rather than relegation form Incredible. So, so we got out of trouble but because in the summer I always said to Stan I wouldn't stand in his way so um, I, I, Ron offered me three players and one point some at million uh, but Frank Clark offered £2.1 million, Nottingham Forest. And, and there was a lot of add-ons 250 if you got 25 goals he did 250 if you I mean that was an England, incredible amount of money
2: did. for a kid from to, the second of the league wasn't yeah, it?
3: Yeah exactly right 250 if they got promotion he got all them and, and we had a 15% sell on so Southampton got £4.4 million out of Stan but Stan was brilliant he, he wanted to go to Villa but he couldn't so I sold him to Frank Frank was brilliant with him as well and uh, you know um uh, he sold him to Liverpool for a lot of money and we Southend got some money out of that. But anyway, we sold Stan in the summer, we spot, sold Spencer prior to Norwich, we sold Brett Angel to Everton and everybody thought Southend was searched for relegation. And uh, I bought a lot of players in from the Barnet because they'd gone bust Barnet, so I I, I nicked one or two other players from from different places, bought Ricky Otto for 100 grand from Leighton Orient, people like that. And I I really moulded a great team. And come December, we were second in the championship. And and that is when, Birmingham City came in for me, and 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 they eventually, for an illegal approach, had to pay 125 grand for me.
2: Well, we'll hear about your time at Birmingham in just a few minutes' time. But one other thing I want to talk about, at Southend, the days when we had these mad tournaments, didn't they? Didn't you play in the Anglo-Italian Cup with Southend as well? Yeah, yeah, played in the Anglo-Italian Cup with. How the, how the hell? <laughs> I oh, know, unbelievable it, it was
3: great experiences uh, I, I mean I had a fantastic record abroad And then when I went to Birmingham We played in it again the following year And won all the games It was, uh, got into a lot of trouble But we won the games well,
2: I've got, I've got so again, doing uh, the research I found a clipping um, about a, a match against C- Cosenza in the Anglo-Italian Cup, God knows, um, which suggests that Ricky Otto, among others, had been attacked with a hammer in the tunnel. Correct, he was. And David, <laughs> David, Howes, uh, it, um,
3: it, Barney, I made Edwin Steen, who was my player uh, captain. Then I made him coach and then I made him assistant manager, I think I was the first one to appoint a black assistant manager, I also appoint David Howell as a black first team coach and I took them to Southend with me and during this game what happened, we beat them and Ricky was walking off and this guy jumped out with a hammer and David Howells grabbed him and stopped, so when we come back to Southend the next game because it had all been reported in the press um, somebody jumped out with a great big giant hammer to hit Ricky as he <laughs> went on the field. It was all fun. It wasn't fun at the time, I tell you. But uh, that they were great days, great experiences.
2: And you're right to say that then you uh, were going to hear in the next section about your time at Birmingham City. Extraordinary time as well, uh, winning trophies, um, all kinds of things. Um, but the club was fined for coming and getting you illegally. I mean, you know, let me just ask you a straightforward question. Um, we, the fans, we stare in disbelief, you know, at uh, people with. with tail we all imagine everyone's being tapped up all the time but it's not quite like that everyone's got relationships so nearly every transfer nearly every managerial change is preceded by an illegal tap-up isn't it well yeah but uh, i mean what what happened basically
3: um was birmingham city asked for permission to talk vic vic called me and he said birmingham city's asked to talk to you and i've refused it so i i, I went to a game not as Forest and birmingham city and um Karen was there and, and Vic came as well we, we wasn't playing that that Saturday we was playing on the Sunday we was opening the new den uh, but Southend went there and, and we beat them 4-1 in front of the television cameras and all that so I was looking for a game to go to and I went to Notts Forest and Birmingham and Vic, uh, Vic went with me and uh, he, he he had a few words with, with Karen and I just said to Karen uh, I want to talk to you love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then on a Monday uh, he, he called me in uh, after we'd beat um, <clears throat> Millwall 4-1 at their place and and he said, uh, you can go and talk to him, but I'm not giving you permission to sign for them. Which was the most bizarre thing ever anyway I went to talk to him and I come back to him I said look I want to go so um, I thought at that time he would offer me a new contract because what I'd done in nine months was unbelievable and he says are you after more money I said well it's up to you do you want to keep me or not he said I will not give you another single penny (laughs) So I said, OK, well, I want to go to Birmingham. I'm going to Birmingham. Tada!
2: Uh, we heard there about uh, the illegal approach and suddenly you find yourself manager of Birmingham City. It's another extraordinary roller coaster. couple of uh, nearly two and a half years at St Andrews. Very fondly looked back on, I think, by Birmingham fans. But how did you find the club when you got there? Absolutely
3: brilliant. I thought it was a sleeping giant and... Um... When I first met Karen, uh, uh, you know, she was 23-year-old lady, and I said, was, was Karen, no, no disrespect, well, what's a 23-year-old lady doing as managing director of Birmingham City Football Club? What's your job, love? She said, my job, Barry, is to make money, so I can give it to you so you can spend it. Well, I immediately <laughs> fell in love with her. I've never had a woman say she wants to make money to give to you so you can spend it. But yeah. we, we had a, a unique relationship. I loved her and she sort of hated me. She <laughs> didn't know where I was coming from. When I went in December, they was well adrift at the bottom. And, um, you know, we uh, we won our first two games. Uh, we beat Charlton 1-0. They'd been having gates of four, five, six thousand. Uh, there was 18,000 at that one. Then we played West Brom and there was 25,000 and we beat them 2-1. So I thought, this is easy. Then we went into January and, and we played uh, Kidminster in the FA Cup and they dumped us out 2-1. And then I went a period of two months where I never won a game so I was really worried at that time, so uh, Alan Jones come in one day, I said, Alan, I can't get this right, I'm, I'm doing something wrong, mate. Well, he said, no, no, it's not your fault. I said, of course it's my fault, I'll pick the team, what are you on about? He said, no, it's the gypsy's curse.
2: Oh, this is the famous
3: gypsy's curse? Oh, I said, <laughs> gypsy's curse, now I'm not superstitious, no. but I said, gypsy's curse, I'm not superstitious mate, I don't believe in that. What happened? He said, oh, well, Ron Saunders was here, he put crosses on the doors, crosses on the floor, crosses on the boots I said what happened to him he said he got the say." <laughs> I said listen mate do you know anybody in the gypsy world he said yeah I know the top bloke I said I'll get him in here You know, I mean, when you ain't won a game for two months, you try anything. anything. Anyway, this bloke come in. I said, how can I get rid of this gypsy's curse, mate? And he said, well, you've got to urinate in the four corners.
2: How could you possibly urinate in all four corners of a football pitch in one session? You can't do it. Let let,
3: let me tell you, it's very difficult. But you've got to drink a lot of water all day long. (laughs) Then you've got to walk to a corner flag. A bit of a squirt, walk behind, do the, the other corner. He's doing it with one hand, it's yeah. very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did actually do it, did you? I did actually do it. I mean, yeah. I did do anything for a laugh and to get rid of the gypsies curse. But, I mean, come towards the end of the season, we had ten games left. We won seven, drew two and lost one. That was motion form. We got relegated, which (laughs) was unbelievable. But the following year, we got it right.
2: We won the double. Exactly as you say, you won a cup trophy, and we'll hear about that in a second. And you got the club promoted. Um, All of this, of course, with the now infamous trio at the the helm. You've done half a track, some chairman. The two Davids um, and Karen Brady, I'm delighted to say that we can now uh, speak to David Gold. Hello, David. Oh, good evening. Good, good evening, good uh, Danny. And say, say hello to one of your former employees as well. I've got him here. Hello, top man. <laughs> hello, Barry. Good to hear from you, pal. And you, mate. Uh, Birmingham City um, actually went out and employed Barry Fry. You didn't inherit him, David. Um, what, what made you... What, what was his qualities? What was happening that made you want to go and get Barry Fry?
1: well he was having a um, a fantastic uh, time at, uh, at south end he was over overachieving, over 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 performing you know south end was relatively a, a small club and uh, and and he had them in the top half of the uh, of the championship and we just thought that uh, he was a young young Barry mm. Fry uh, <laughs> and uh, and an, an emerging manager and, and we just liked his enthusiasm you know, we, I mean we didn't know lots about him other than the performance of, uh, of, of South End uh, United at that time uh, and I guess that's what drove us to uh, pursue
2: him um, Once he got there of course it is now famously one of the most uh, extraordinary and um, how can I put it, not chaotic that's not the right word, busy and memorable periods in Birmingham City's Long history. Um, what What did he do? What did he improve and what did he not improve at St Andrews, David?
1: Well, remember, you know, we'd taken over maybe a year earlier and the club was in complete disarray. It was on, it, it, we, we saved it from administration and, um, you know, the stadium was worn out. Uh, in fact, uh, later on or in, in Barry's time, we actually, uh, pulled, uh, three quarters of, of the stadium down and rebuilt it. Uh, but at the time that Barry arrived, I mean, you know, we had crowds of less than 6,000 attending matches. Um, you know, it was a very, very sad place. And, uh, uh, in came Barry Fry and and that was really the beginning of the rebirth of uh, of Birmingham City Football Club
2: one of the things that notoriously happened during his time there he bought and sold a very very large number of footballers did he like spending your money david no, he liked spending my money. <laughs> yeah,
3: he still do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he still does. No, and, uh, and, and I have to say, you know, uh, he did have a reputation of, of, of buying players, and, uh, you know, at one time we had 56, I think it was 56. 56?
3: Um, 46, 50, David.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it felt like 56 <laughs> uh, players, professionals at the time. And, you know, uh, there, were, there were people in, in the football club that, you know, I didn't even recognise, and they... <laughs> Turned out to be players, uh, but um, but you know it was a it was a fantastically exciting time, and uh, we you know we were all relatively young in the business, um, but uh, you know Barry brought extraordinary excitement to the uh, to the football club. He he brought passion, he, um, you know, and it and it was. And he also brought results as well, you know. Um, Having said that, I mean, sadly, we did get relegated. I mean, I remember Barry saying to me, Chairman, I'll get you out of this – I hope I can use this word – I'll get you out of this proxy division. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that were those they, they were his very words, and he true to his word. True to his word, he did get us out of the second division, not into the Premier League, no, but into the third, third division. <laughs> so, you know, he did get us out of the division, and but in, extraordinarily. That was a kind of catalyst. It just, you know, it was, I remember how depressed we were. We went to uh, Tranmere. We went to Tranmere Rovers, and we had to win to have a hope of staying up. And at full time, it was 2-1. We'd beaten Tranmere Rovers, and I'm listening to the result. And I think it was West Brom playing uh, Portsmouth, and... West Brom hadn't won an away game all season. And all that had to happen was that West Brom didn't win. And with a minute to go, it was nil-nil. And we would, would, on that basis, we would still be in the championship. No, with a minute to go, West Bromwich Albion unbelievably scored and beat, um, beat Portsmouth. And they stayed up and we got relegated. Now, bizarrely, Uh, And it was a terrible time. You know, we felt, oh, God, you know, we promised so much and delivered uh, relegation. But that happened to be the turning point, really, in Barry's life, my life, and the the football club, but predominantly the football club, because we then went on an extraordinary adventure. Um, The following season, I remember Barry Fry calling me and saying, Chairman, just get me Ricky Otto. Um, I said, how much uh, Barry? He said, eight hundred thousand pounds. A snip, <laughs> a snip. He'll be worth one point five million within a year. By the way, within a year, we let him go on a free. Yeah, uh, that was one of Barry's not so good deals. And we brought in, I think it was Kevin Francis, yeah. ten foot two, ten, socks, 10 foot two yeah. tall, uh, from yeah, from Stockport and uh, yeah he was a, he was a decent player he terrified defences and we just won game after game after game and then i said to barry i said barry you know what i do expect of this season i expect you to win the uh, the division uh, because it, at that time only one club was promoted um to the uh, to the championship from from the old um automatically first division. yes yeah automatically so, and I said, oh, and by the way, I want to win that other trophy. What's it called? That Mickey Mouse trophy. Auto
3: windscreen trophy. Auto
1: windscreen. I remember it well. But I have to tell you, uh, and we went to Wembley uh, and we. Um, and we beat uh, we beat the mighty Carlisle on a golden goal in extra time. A goal scored by Paul Tate. I think it's
2: two remarkable things there, gentlemen. Uh, certainly the first, uh, the first as I say the first ever golden goal in English football, and probably the first goal scored by a person wearing a t-shirt that said on the Villa underneath his own shirt. Is that right? Well,
3: yes, indeed it
1: was.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Barry, you shouldn't have allowed that, should you? <laughs> well, uh, K- Karen gave me a bollocking. She thought I'd give all the players that shirt, <laughs> but I didn't know nothing about it, to be honest. Didn't know did you notice Ricky Otto made
2: that goal, chairman? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, a snippet, 100 grand, David. <laughs> I mean, listen, and David, I mean, that was a brilliant moment for the club and you talked about the downs and then the ups. 78,000 people watched
3: that game, 55,000 blue noses, a bigger gate than the FA Cup final that year with Liverpool in it.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic and to be done uh, in the old uh, Wembley Stadium you know, just a remarkable uh, experience.
2: And overall then, um, obviously your presence on the programme here tonight, David, tells me that you've you've maintained a very good personal relationship um, with Barry. Uh, Just talk to me then about those things, your personal relationship with him and Let's try and sum up your time together at Birmingham City.
1: Well, I, I have to say the most, one of the most enjoyable times in, in, in my football life, you know, was the, the time uh, spent with Barry Fry because it was just an incredible adventure, you know, from relegation to winning, actually winning the, the championship. Uh, that was at Huddersfield. We won at Huddersfield and won, won the division. Uh, that was a, an amazing moment. Uh, uh the um actually what we've just experienced there uh, winning at Wembley the old Wembley stadium in front of as Barry quite rightly says 78,000 fans to watch you know the auto windscreen shield that nobody has ever heard of um Who's no, got the just... where's
2: the trophy now it's well, in I've david's got... uh, it's, it's in, in my david's house, front we... room <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no and uh, you know it's just uh, it's... and of course you know they're. they're they're the the ups in football and of course there's the downs I remember going to and Barry I'm sure remember the actual details but we went to Italy uh, and and that was a horrendous uh, situation where the where the um, the opposition manager came running onto the field and started beating up our players um, it was incredible so you know um, it 's just been a roller coaster ride with a very very lovable uh, man in barry fry he's you know he 's been my friend um, and you know he's just brought great excitement He certainly brought uh, and, and he will be remembered by birmingham city fans for for many many years to come because he didn't just bring us success in that particular season which was you know fantastic for everybody to experience but he also you know it was the enthusiasm of the man that um, that people loved
2: well listen david uh, the enthusiasm is reflected in your voice and it's enthusiasm about barry in turn and i thank you for very much indeed for joining us here on my sporting life
1: you're oh, most welcome. David, enjoy, be, enjoy
2: before it you day. go,
3: David, I would like to thank you personally in front of everybody in the whole world for being the best friend anybody could ever have. Oh, that's very nice, Baz. And and you're my
1: best friend as well. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: David Gold there. Uh, Barry, you're, you're very upset now. Bless you. Because <sighs> um, it was an amazing time in your life, I guess. Well... I've been friends with David for 21
3: years now and um, it's what he's done for me in my darkest hours you know where didn't know I was gonna lose everything you know every single thing and I used to talk to David and he used to uh, because of his business expertise he put me in the right road on several times and um, he he got me out of trouble loads and loads of times and um, nobody knows about that but he he, he's been unbelievable unbelievable perfect gentleman but he's he's helped me out more times than i care to remember and um you, you you know there was no need for it i mean he was just absolutely different class
2: barry in the last phase of your career and it's been nearly 20 years now um you, you've you been to Peterborough, mm. where you've been manager, you've been technically the owner, I think you bought the club for a pound or something, um, and we'll talk about selling it on, um, and now you're director of football. Talk to us about why, why, why Peterborough? Well, I had a mate at Peterborough who was a manager,
3: and he was chairman of. Uh, and when I got the sack from Birmingham, Chris Turner and his in his best mate and uh, they was football nuts. I knew Chris when he was manager at Cambridge, and I bought a lot of good players off him. You know, Dion Dublin, Liam Dache come to me at Barnet and played. I bought Gary Paul and Gary Ball off him for five grand, best five grand I ever spent. He got the sack at um, Cambridge United, and he come to help me at Barnet Thursday night. I used to take uh, set pieces and all that and he was brilliant and then Peterborough came in for him and he went to Peterborough um, and then he phoned me up one day and said I'm struggling for a centre forward so uh, I told him to sign Ken Charlery, he wanted a left back, I told him to sign Gary Cooper and he signed those and they got him in the playoffs at Wembley and Ken scored the two goals so he invited me as his guest at Wembley, I sat with him in the Royal Box because he didn't sit on the touchline. And and it was great. So we'd had a friendship for a long, long time. So running Peterborough United had made him ill. So w- w- when he got when I got the sack, he, he sent me. 10 messages and what have you and I eventually got in touch with him and and I went to see him in the hospital. He said, Barry, you've got to take over. I said, I can't take over manager here, mate. So I went and then he phoned me. He said, I'm home recuperating and Alf's coming round. Will you come round and talk to us? I said, yeah, of course. So I went to his house in Ramsey, 40 foot, sat in his bedroom and he said, listen, we have come up with a scheme. You run the football. You'll be the owner of the football side. We'll split the club into we'll have a holding company Alf and I and we'll rent you the ground for a pound all the money you generate through that and if you sell any players which I was obviously good at I Mm -hmm. made 12 million pounds for Birmingham City by the way I I signed some bad players but I signed some good Mm -hmm. ones as well and that really wow I ain't got to go to a chairman, I've just got to back my own judgment. I'll have some of that. So I said, okay. And so I went in with all this publicity. I'm the new owner. And I said, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get promotion and all this. And I got a couple of players, um, Martin O'Connor from Walsall at a tribunal, went up Scotland Scotland, got Welsh at a tribunal. And um, so, so we, we put together a, a, a good team. But then what happened is there was tax implications regarding changing the club into what it was supposed to be, and then and and Alf and Chris couldn't pay those tax implications, so the club was left it was, and I was there, owner in name, but not really. I never had the shares. I never had nothing. So it never went through, and then it was disaster after disaster because. Uh, we found out we didn't have the money to do this we didn't have the money to do that and and then again I, I got in touch with my old mate um karen and and um and David Sullivan i 'd done the deal with Trevor Francis bought martin O'Connor off me gave me five hundred and twenty eight grand I put that in the bank which reopened our bank account and all that and it was a struggle ever since I got to blame for it, of course, because everybody in in Peterborough thinks I was the owner and i 'm not. I'm nothing. In fact, I never took any money for six months at Peterborough. And it just went from disaster after disaster. And then um, Peter Boizzo came in, to be fair to Peter. He was a lovely gentleman. Uh, He should have had the freedom of Peterborough. Uh, City for what he's done for Peterborough City Uh, but he wasn't a football man no disrespect Um, he he was a lovely gentleman and wanted to do everything right which he did but it was a struggle and and
2: he lost seven million trying to do it. Well one thing you have been very good about is openness with the media Barry you've always been very good about it and you've been involved over the past several years with two different behind the scenes fly on the wall documentaries one was Big Ron Manager where Mm. Ron Atkinson came in it was an amazing TV series but that was preceded by only one Barry Fry which again wasn't really about you it was about the running of the club Um, just to give people a flavour because it really was if you haven't seen them try and find them on the the internet because they are amazing we've got a clip here Excerpt from the documentary as you negotiate terms with the then Wickham striker Miguel yes, Souza
3: I think we're we'll looking at 850, 950, and 1050. No, 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 you, you, you ain't going to get that. Are you sure? First year, 550, second year, six, third year, 650, plus 10 grand for 30 goals, all competitions, each season. Supposing you us have a survival bonus. I love that. Survival bonus. That's a yeah. new one. Oh, I love it. How much? Ten grand. How much? Ten. How much? Ten. It's gotta be money well spent. It is. Five. Done. <coughs> Welcome aboard my man. Cheers. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Thank it's you, young Mary. right <laughs> So to the fat. B- in the blue blazer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> did Miguel ever get his bonus, Barry? No,
3: he didn't. No, he's, uh, not not a very good signing. One of my many not very good signings. But there you go.
2: I mean, to be fair, there's been relegations to the bottom tier yep, with yep. Uh, with Peterborough. Um, it took you three years to get back into mm. the level which they are now. And you did that through the playoffs and. Um, you, you, can you remember that it was, it was at Wembley, wasn't it, against Darlington? It
3: was at Wembley. I love Wembley. I've been there four times. I've won every game, and we was we was the underdogs against Darlington. Darlington was the odds-on favourites. They got a new chairman, George Reynolds, that was going to put Darlington into European football. You know, he built it that big stadium, right, didn't he? It's <laughs> unbelievable, um, but. Um, well, it was a miracle that we got into the playoffs and to get to the final, and uh, it was a really wet and windy day at Wembley. In fact, if it wasn't televised, I think they'd have called it off. But against all odds, we managed to win 1-0. Is it
2: 19 years? 19 years, unbelievable. And now these Ed, days you're director of football. What, is, yeah, what does that involve, yeah. Barry? Well, it, a director of football does as he's told. Because of <laughs> Darren McAntony came and bought the club from you.
3: Yeah, but I've got to tell you about that because that was the lowest point in my life. But basically um, Peterborough was going into administration again and I couldn't let that happen. I had a lot of people, had a lot of faith in me to sell players and they'd been very patient, very understanding, very loyal. They hadn't pushed for their money and all that. So I, I, I I said I can't do that, I can't let that happen. So I finished up buying the club. Uh, which was the worst thing I ever done because I sold my uh, property in Portugal for hundred and fifty grand, put it into the football club. I took a second mortgage out on the property I lived at for three hundred grand and put that into the football club. I mean, my Mrs. Kirstine, how the hell she put up with me for thirty five years, I don't know. But I went home. I said, "Sign this, love." She said, "What's that?" I said, "It's a second mortgage for three hundred grand." But I've sold the property in Portugal. She said, "Oh." what we're doing with it. I said, I'm buying a football club. She said, do you know what you're doing? I said, yeah. She said, you said that. We finished up with four kids. <laughs> but then, I mean, my wife always said that um, she loved me so much she'd live down a river in a tent. I'm telling you, Danny, she don't know how close she came. <laughs> because on top of that... I took my pension out early, put seventy five grand into the club. I put the deeds of my mother in law's house with the bank so that I could get a bank overdraft. I had a testimonial against the mighty Manchester United thanks to Sir Alex who fetched all his stars down, fifteen and a half thousand sell out, all the money went to Peterborough United to keep us going. And the big run um, documentary uh, series. Yeah. I mean my wage bill was 150 grand a month, and, and I sleepless nights. So I couldn't pay it. I mean, I was still manager. I was on the pitch, and I'd get a phone call from Mary in the office to say, Barry, the bailiff's are here. So I used to run off the pitch, jump in the car, and, and it was just ridiculous. And and uh, the, the main thing was I had to get this 150 grand. And then when Ron sort of come and sort of um, said uh, you know, they'd well, like to do a documentary and all that, Uh, I got 150 grand a month for three months, that's what I wanted off him. Um, So he'd give me that and we got a lot more. Ron was brilliant, he he really went into it and you know we had uh, Sportsman's Evenings and him and and, uh, Sam Broadman coming, it was brilliant, he got me a lot, a lot of money. but, and, and paid for the next three months. But
2: Darren, Mc, da- Dar- Darrah, Darren, I'm coming, coming. to Darren. Has, has he saved your life then? He saved my life. What
3: happened, he he watched this programme with his dad in Spain and his dad shouted, Darren, come in here and watch this idiot trying to run a football
2: club. Because it was an amazing programme. It was. Program, so yeah. so,
3: so he, he's a football nut, Darren. So he watched it and all that and he said to his dad afterwards, I'm going to get in touch with him and I'm going to go and help him. So, of course, his dad said he'd bar me. So, anyway, then I got a phone call from somebody and uh, and they said, um, you know, this guy would, would like to uh, talk to you about buying the club. Well, most people, I'd had 18 people wanting to buy the club, but they all talked about property. they never talked about football. So he sent these three guys there and they quizzed me about the, the state of the club and all that and, and I told them. And the next day, he sent me... An email the next day. He wasn't at the meeting, but he sent me an email that he'd buy the club for this, this, and this, and spread it over and spread it over. So I told uh, Bob Sims, our chief exec, to write back and say I had to check the date because I thought it was an April Fool's joke, you know what I mean? So I never heard f- from him for about a month. And then one uh, Thursday, I got a phone call to say he was coming to see me on the Friday. Would I see him? So he came himself with three cars lots of people and he walked up and introduced himself and what have you and uh uh, I told him about the club, he said, this ain't an April Fool's, I, I, I want to offer you a thing. So I showed him round the club and I took him onto the pitch and as we went down the tunnel I said, go on, Dara, lead us out. he went out and he seemed to stand with Posh on, he was only 29 at the time and, and he was gone. He got on the phone to his missus and I knew then that we, we had a, And we jumped in the car and we went to the training ground and we talked football all the time and I'd mentioned players and he knew everything about every player. He was incredible knowledge on football and all and I, I just couldn't believe. It. Anyway, we got back. He said, "Right, I want to do due diligence and all that." I said, "Yeah, but I've had eighteen of you, mate." I said, "Unless you give me hundred and fifty grand, which was a month's wages," I said, "Non-returnable. I'm not." He said, "Okay." He said, um, "Give me the details of your bank." So I give him the details of the bank's, uh, the club's bank, and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. So then we had more conversations, more of conversations. And then Alf and rang me, who's a director, been a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man for Peterborough United Football Club. And he rang me, he said, Barry, we've just got, the Grand Martin, the, the, the bank manager, just rang me to say, we've got 150 grand coming to our bank, do you know what that's for? Mm-hmm. So within a matter of hours, he'd transferred. So I knew he was really, really serious. Anyway, he went away and and, and I got him in and um It cost him 84 grand to do the thing, but it was as bad as what I told him it was. So then he trusted me because it walks and all I had to tell him. And um, when he came back, he said, I'll buy the club um, under one condition you stay as director of football, you do all the transfers in and out. You know, the manager identifies who he wants or you or whatever, and Mm -hmm. and that's the way it is. So I couldn't believe it. He was my knight in shining armour. He'd saved my life. I'm telling you, if he hadn't come when he did, I'd be dead by now. No question about it. The worry of running a football club was just too much.
2: And so we have the modern world now where you know, you're know you doing uh, director of football, Darren uh, owns the club, um, what did you make of his recent um, outburst on Twitter where he got stuck into the players following that defeat at uh, Colchester? Well basically when
3: I, I was brought up in football nobody ever knew who the chairman was, who the owner was and uh, you knew the managers and you knew the players and that's it but times have changed drastically. Dara's a very, very passionate, committed, and very knowledgeable football man. And it really annoys him when people set their own standards and they don't reach to that standard at a consistent level. Um, He's been every training camp, he's been there nine years. Every pre-season he takes us away, Spain, Portugal, Ireland, wherever. He's with the players for 10 days, he speaks to every player, he speaks to the management team. He is what he is and everybody loves him for being so honest. You don't like what he says, but he don't hold grudges and all that. So I think, basically, um, he pays the bills, he's he's paid a fortune, He's, he's absolutely... Peterborough United, in nine years, have had three promotions. They've had a trip to Wembley that won the Johnson Paint Trophy last year. We are in the playoffs last year that we didn't get up. We've had the most success we, out of them. We've had three years in the championship, you know, he, he's done unbelievable things for Peterborough United. We've got a new training ground, we've got a new nine and a half million stand, thanks to the council and Dara. We, we've made so much progress in that time that he gets a bit frustrated and he lets off steam. And he's only telling—he's he's only being honest.
2: Barry, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to give you the answer and you can comment on that. <laughs> I was going to ask you, you uh, coming up 70 years of age, still very spry for a fry and all that, um, I wonder what keeps you going and yet, I only have to look at the table in the championship where I see that it's not just possible, but likely that one of Bournemouth or Brentford will be in the Premier League next year. Incredible. Um, and that, and that, when you look at things like that happening, that must be the kind of thing that keeps you going, is it?
3: Exactly right. Everybody wants to be at the top, whether they're director, football, manager, player. And, and it's the dream, isn't it? Blackpool made it, you know, fantastic what they've done. There's other clubs made it. And and that is a dream, you think. It's an impossible dream. But I want to establish help to establish Peterborough as a championship club and kick on from there, and who knows getting the Premiership, which is a promised land
2: and I meet people like yourself I mean you meet lots of people ex pros and things and they like the game or, but you're clearly steeped in it it's in your and maybe your, your your failure to make it as a player is what's driven you on as well. How long more do you think you can can keep this up for?
3: I'll stay in football till they carry me out in the box and I'm so grateful to be in something that I love and uh, if I could... I'd do it for nothing but I must admit the the last 35 years uh, I made my best signing ever and I've made a lot of signings and that's Kirsteen my lovely wife Um, without her I'd be nothing because she has uh, given me so much support there's not many ladies out there that would sign away a second mortgage of 300 grand uh, property and she's totally backed me whatever I've done and uh, I couldn't be more grateful to her for that and she's like I say my best signing ever You've been
4: listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.